because Jesus died, because he bore our griefs and our sorrows and our sins and our iniquities, we can be forgiven and we will all be healed. Some of us may be healed immediately, as Peter's mother-in-law was here. Jesus still cares about families, and he still preaches the power of the cross through acts of personal healing. So we may be healed immediately. Praise the Lord. But if we are not, as many good believing people are not, nevertheless, we will be healed entirely and eternally at the final resurrection. The power of Christ demonstrated through these various healings and through his victorious resurrection from the dead give us every reasonable encouragement that a day of great and total healing has been purchased for us through the cross. That is part of our faith and that is part of the testimony of the scriptures. Thanks be to God. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. There is a day of full and final healing coming because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some of us may receive anticipations and down payments on that promise in the immediate present, but all of us can be assured of our participation in that reality on the last day because of the empty tomb. Praise the Lord! Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Matthew chapter 8. You'll recall that prior to our reading of the Sermon on the Mount, we saw Matthew providing a general description of the ministry of Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 23 to 25. He said, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Matthew tells us that Jesus was going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing many people of diseases and demonic oppression. And then he gives us a representative sample of both. He gave us the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 to 7. And now, here in chapters 8 and 9, he gives us several representative stories about healing and exorcism. Matthew is saying, this is the sort of ministry that Jesus did. Therefore, most commentators understand these stories to have been arranged topically as opposed to chronologically. The entire section running from 8.1 through 11.1 may be usefully titled, The Kingdom Extended Under Jesus' Authority. And these representative healings may be understood as demonstrating Jesus' authority over demons, disease, and even death itself. We'll begin reading at verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately 
his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. The Tyndale Commentary on Matthew's Gospel provides a very useful introduction to the issue of leprosy, a disease which is mentioned many times in the New Testament, partly because it was fairly common and partly because of the obvious symbolic element in many of the healings that are recounted. It is worth reading in full. It says this, The leper was an outcast from normal society. It is probable that the leprosy of the Bible was a term covering various skin complaints, as well as the much more serious true leprosy called by the Greeks elephantiasis. Not all were in fact serious or contagious, but all were lumped together and covered by the strict quarantine regulations of Leviticus 13 to 14. The sufferer was not only potentially a health hazard and likely to be physically objectionable, he was also ceremonially unclean. So this was a serious situation for the affected individual, but it also served to highlight Jesus' particular interest in the spiritual and social outcast. In fact, all three of the representative healings recorded by Matthew here in chapter 8 touch on that theme. We have the leper here in verses 1 to 4, followed by the Gentile servant in verses 5 to 13, and then the feverish woman, Peter's mother-in-law, in verses 14 to 15, which leads to a stampede of people, all of whom were afflicted, both physically and spiritually. The healings that are recorded in the Bible are chosen very carefully. They mean to communicate not just that Jesus was compassionate, although he was, and not just that he had extraordinary power, although he did. They also generally mean to say something about Jesus' particular mission and calling. And here we see that Jesus has authority to heal and restore people who have been made outsiders by sin, disease, and affliction. Jesus brings the outcast home. That's the message that Matthew is conveying here through these particular healings. Thanks be to God. We'll jump back into the narrative at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This story reminds us of one of Matthew's particular interests as a gospel writer, Matthew's interested in exploring the nature of the church and the relationship between Israel and the church. And here in the story, we hear Jesus remarking positively upon the faith of this Gentile over and above the faith that he has thus far encountered within the Jewish community. 
He goes on to declare that many such Gentiles will come from the four corners of the earth to take their place within the kingdom of heaven, whereas a great many Jews will remain outside. That is one of the major theological themes in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is highlighting here for us the true nature of the church. The covenant community from this point forward is made up of all true believers, Jew and Gentile. Jesus brings the outcast home. He has the authority to heal and to restore and to incorporate. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Commentators speculate as to whether it was or was not malarial in nature, this particular fever. But, of course, we can't be sure. The point is that Jesus healed her with a touch. Carson's summary takes us right to the heart of the matter here. He says, The touch did not defile the healer, but healed the defiled. So, once again, Matthew has probably shared this story to make the point that Jesus is able to heal and restore people to a right relationship with God. He can address whatever it is that has sidelined them and excluded them, and he can restore them to their proper worship and service of the Lord. Michael Green has identified another possible reason for including the story. He says, The disciples in Matthew's day had their family lives and their measure of domestic sickness. By the way, I'm going to pause and read that again. I think some folks in our day and age in the evangelical church need to hear that again. The disciples, right? The apostles, the the ones whom there were no more anointed than. Okay, so let me start again. The disciples in Matthew's day had their family lives and their measure of domestic sickness. This story must have encouraged them greatly to pray for healing among their nearest and dearest. Had not Jesus bothered to heal someone closely related to Peter, an early disciple? Then let them expect him to do the same in their day and in their homes, close quote. I think that's important for us to see and for us to say. Some of us read these stories and mine them for theological content, and rightly so. We, we should be asking, first and foremost, What does this story say about the identity and mission of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Let's think carefully about those things. But let's also mind them for personal and spiritual encouragement. This story is saying that the followers of Jesus can come to him with their personal and familial needs. Now, yes, there there is a certain sense of purpose around everything Jesus does, But there is also a strong sense of pity and human compassion. We should see that and be encouraged to pray and to appeal to that. To to appeal to the compassionate nature of Christ and to ask for healing, help, and encouragement. I I think Michael Green is right. I think the story is included in Matthew's gospel for that end. Verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew was always eager to show us 
how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. This citation is from Isaiah 53, 4. But Matthew doesn't cite it from either the Hebrew or the Greek Septuagint translation. The ESV renders Isaiah 53, 4 this way, from the Hebrew. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It's also interesting to hear how Peter renders this verse, since this event obviously made a strong impression upon him, given that it happened in his house and personally affected his family. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Closed quote. All of this serves to highlight a particular tension in New Testament theology. What is the relationship between healing and the atonement? That's, that's the question that's being raised here. Now, that's a massive topic, and we can't possibly do it justice within the limits of this format. But I want to just say a few words. First of all, it is clear that for the apostles, these various healings point beyond themselves to the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's why John always spoke of them as signs. The, the works themselves were important and impressive, but most important of all was what they communicated about the identity and mission of Jesus. The healings revealed that Jesus had ultimate power over all the consequences of sin. He had power over the curse, and he had compassion for lost and broken people. That was good news. And it was good news carried inside of these various signs. They indicated that Jesus was willing to identify with the sum and total of human hurt and pain. He would take it all upon himself when he ascended to the cross. He would drink the cup to the dregs, and he would win a great and final victory over sin. And he would share the spoils of that victory with his people. So, yes, there is healing in the atonement. Because Jesus died, because he bore our griefs and our sorrows and our sins and our iniquities, we can be forgiven and we will all be healed. Some of us may be healed immediately, as Peter's mother-in-law was here. Jesus still cares about families and he still preaches the power of the cross through acts of personal healing. So we may be healed immediately. Praise the Lord. But if we are not, as many good believing people are not, nevertheless, we will be healed entirely and eternally at the final resurrection. The power of Christ demonstrated through these various healings and through his victorious resurrection from the dead, give us every reasonable encouragement that a day of great and total healing has been purchased for us through the cross. That is part of our faith and that is part of the testimony of the scriptures. Thanks be to God. Pastor Paul, let me ask, because I know from my own experience that there's been a lot of confusion in the evangelical church over my lifetime anyway, around this whole issue of healing. I feel like I'm kind of on both sides of this argument. You know, I hear some people talking as though salvation is a completely spiritual reality. They talk about sins being forgiven, hearts being renewed, and eternities being secured, and I'm all for that, obviously, 
but they don't seem to have a category for bodies. They sound almost like Gnostics, like if I can throw that term around. And the Bible makes it pretty clear that bodies matter. And Jesus makes it pretty clear, too, that bodies matter. This entire chapter in Matthew's gospel is about sick bodies that Jesus makes well. So I can't get 100% on board with folks who seem to miss that. But then I also can't get on board either with those who talk about physical healing as though it is the be-all and end-all. I can't understand why we would elevate physical healing to a sort of litmus test as if if you don't get healed from your wonky back, then you must not have enough faith or you might even not be a real Christian. I can't get on board with that either. <laughs> it sounds like you're on neither side. Well, okay, well, <laughs> that's probably the better way to say it. So help us find the middle of the road here. Obviously, physical healing is part of what Jesus came to bring. But that's not all that we're supposed to be seeing here. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, when you read the Old Testament, you definitely get the sense that salvation or redemption is a very physical category. They're looking for health, peace, prosperity, community, food, wine, children, fields. Their vision of the kingdom and their understanding of the renewal and victory that God is going to bring is undeniably physical. And yet, what the New Testament seems to be saying is that you can't ever position yourself to receive those sorts of blessings unless you undergo a complete spiritual restoration. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit. You need to be born again before you can see the kingdom of God. So it's both and, right? Yeah, it's both and and in the right order. Mm. You have to be born again spiritually before you can experience and enjoy all all the physical benefits of the kingdom of God. So the New Testament doesn't contradict the Old Testament expectation for physical blessings, but it extends the process. Jesus is saying here in Matthew 8, I am the one who can bring all of those physical blessings. But after Matthew 8, you have Matthew 26, 27, and 28, his suffering, death, and resurrection. So yes, there are physical blessings coming, and, and with you, I'm not comfortable with evangelicals who over-spiritualize the blessings of the gospel. But also with you, I am not comfortable with people who over-prioritize the physical in a way that undermines the message and sequencing of the New Testament. So practically speaking then, if someone says that all Christians should expect to be healed of all their diseases if they truly have faith in Jesus, what should we say to that person? I, I think you can agree with them. You can say, yes, that is true. Praise the Lord. But those promises will only be universally realized at the second coming of Christ and the renewal of all things. Some of us may receive first fruits and anticipations in the here and now, but in terms of the order of operations, now is the season of bringing people to the place of faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of spiritual rebirth. And then when he comes again, we will receive our new bodies and we will begin to enjoy the peace, prosperity, and flourishing of the new heavens and the new earth. So I I think you'd want to give a yes and kind of answer to anyone making that kind of statement about healing. Hmm, Okay, that makes sense. Thanks for walking us through that. Let's jump back into the story now at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Mark tells us that this was after a night of earnest prayer and that he said to his disciples, once the decision to move on had been made, he said, Mark 1.38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. 
Both Matthew and Mark present Jesus as intentionally leaving behind crowds of people eager to be healed. Jesus did respond with compassion, and he did heal a great many people, but he did not identify primarily as a traveling healer. He came to preach and to call men and women to himself and back to God. Verse 19, and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Here we see some of the dangers inherent in a healing ministry, however carefully conducted. Healing attracts a crowd, and many people in that crowd may not have reckoned with the high cost of true discipleship. And so here we see Jesus telling the truth about what is involved in becoming his disciple. There are benefits, yes, but also sacrifices. And so again, we are being reminded that the crowd and the church are not always the same thing. Matthew makes that point artfully in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Despite all the blessings and power on display in the person of Jesus, as of verse 23, the entire church could fit into one tiny little fishing boat. Note that very well. Many are those interested in the benefits, but few are those willing to pay the price. Verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? That's a very good question indeed. Those acquainted with the Old Testament know that it was God who controlled the sea. We think of Job 38, 8-11, Psalm 29, 3-4, Psalm 107, 23-32. And, and so for Jesus to exercise such complete mastery over the sea was again an implicit claim to divinity. And Matthew intends for us to see it as such. Verse 28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. And going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Just as Jesus exercised power over disease in the first half of the chapter and over the sea in the middle part of the chapter, so 
to here we see at the end that Jesus has power even over the demonic. Jesus is king in every sense of the word. And therefore, he is uniquely positioned to free human beings from everything that holds them captive. We live in fear of sickness and disease, disaster and demons. And in this chapter, Matthew is telling us that Jesus is Lord over all. Thanks be to God. I really liked how you brought that in for a landing there at the end of the program audio. You said that in this chapter, Jesus is presenting himself as the one who has power over disease, disaster, and the demonic. It's almost as if Jesus is giving us his resume. He is saying, I am exactly the Savior and the King that you need. Am I reading that right? Yeah, well, there's a reason that we refer to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as the evangelists. Their job, or, or their intention, is to convince us that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So they are constantly showing us how Jesus represents the fulfillment of Old Testament anticipations around the Messiah and the kingdom that was to come, and that's exactly what Matthew is doing here. He is saying, if we want to have a new world, then we need a savior and a king who can defeat everything that is wrong with this world. We need a savior and a king who is wise. That's that's why he gave us the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, don't you want to be ruled over by a king like that? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, me too. So we need a king that is wise and we need a king that is strong, stronger than disease, stronger than death, stronger than disaster, and stronger even than the demons of hell. That's the kind of king we need. And that's the kind of king that Jesus is Thanks be to God. Amen to that. As always, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.